Knockout Ginger, episode 40. This week's guest is Tara Canagera. She plays trumpet, she sings, teaches, leads bands, makes movies. She does everything. So pay attention. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe, follow, whatever the correct terminology is. I've got a playlist of tunes that are related to the podcast. Somehow, if we talk about it or if I'm just something that I'm listening to, check out Tara's music. Check out her Indiegogo campaign for the movie she's making. Thanks for listening. F all the haters. It's getting a little crazy. I don't know. Yeah, just, like COVID styles? Yeah, everything. Like every element of this is crazy yeah. to me. But yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. There's nothing There's nothing to do. It's yeah, just <laughs> podcasting. We just have to wait. It, it is strange. Um, I don't know. For a while, I was getting really used to it. And then it started getting worse again and then you know and then there's so much alarm and panic about it yeah and rightfully so like if people are dying i don't want to be that person i don't want to be adamson's barbecue guy <laughs> that yeah, it's, it sucks because he's like he's an idiot but he's also not wrong you know like it's what are you supposed to do Oh man, I'm so on the other side of that. I like don't. <laughs> I'm not. I I like do not support. There's no part of me that supports him. I do understand uh, small businesses and restaurants really wanting to stay open because there haven't been that many COVID cases linked to those like restaurants and gyms and whatever. Yeah. I'm sympathetic to that. I'm not sympathetic to that guy, but I'm sympathetic to small businesses and restaurants that are just trying to they're trying to make money through the this horrible time like it's just but i you know i will say i understand why people are really feeling antsy about the lockdown because it's it's not something that you like i feel fine chris feels fine we see people and they see seem fine like there's no I haven't actually met someone who has has had COVID yet or maybe yeah, I, maybe one or neither. two and so, because you don't see it you just forget about it or don't think of it as a real issue so I haven't like so I understand how you can kind of just let it let it slip away yeah yeah I, I've like the oh sorry are you recording yourself oh I'm not can't? let me do it now Sorry, is this the, inter is the interview? So this can be the interview. I mean, it's not an interview. It's a... Uh... Okay, I'm going to start recording. How long have you guys been in Edmonton? I think it's been about a week. And uh, we flew on a pretty full-ish full, a full -ish 
airplane, even though we didn't have to sit next to anyone, but the airports were just desolate. There's nobody there. So we just waltzed through security, had a relatively comfortable flight. And, and then we got picked up by a family member. And then we've just been isolating in Chris's aunt's house, which is this beautiful little home. <laughs> is, and she's not there? Is that? She's not here. She's staying with Chris's parents. So she gave up her home for a week just so we could isolate. And we could just, we, we got a COVID test just to see. And we're waiting to see our results. So. Nice. Good. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But isn't that the scariest thing, though? Like, if you were asymptomatic, that that little, you know, that little, I don't know what you call it. But it just, it's like a kick in the ass if you're Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, it's, uh, I didn't realize it. I didn't realize how fucky it felt until, I guess, months ago now, Rob went to play hockey. Mm-hmm. and someone who played hockey tested positive and he found out like a week later so oh. and then i was like i mean it's we were both playing hockey at the same time we both played the same week just different games and but like once you are at the point where you're like all, all right well that was a week ago i can't time travel like <laughs> the, da- the damage has been done you know like it's a very confusing thing like i don't i you know what i'm gonna say this most people are irresponsible at some point right like that's what i believe most people are i think of myself as incredibly responsible but there are times where i forget and i'm like you know what this isn't so bad that we're sitting so close or oh i'm sure everything's okay like i i I think everyone's done that. I don't know anyone who's been so hard and fast with these rules. I don't think it's it's out of school to say that, you know? Yeah. I feel like I've been pretty hard and fast. You have? I think so. Well, then are you the first? (laughs) Like you're wearing your mask all the time, like when you should be wearing them. You're not hanging. Well, you're not. I know you're not hanging out with anybody. (laughs) I'm I'm going to I'm going to a cottage tomorrow with two buds. Okay. And I guess that is borderline irresponsible, but this is like the first time I feel like I'm making a borderline irresponsible move. Well, look at you. I don't know. I like it's I want to be able to go to and from my parents' place as much as I want. Yeah. So that's why I'm just being overly cautious, I think. Well, that's good. You're I mean, there there was a window where I was like a couple weeks while the Rex was open. I was like sessioning and stuff. Yeah. So then I obviously I didn't come to see my parents. So I guess if you take that into consideration, I haven't been, I've been a little fast and loose, but. There you go. <laughs> but I'm, I don't know, like is sessioning with a mask on fast and loose? I don't know. I really don't know. I have yeah. no idea. I don't know. I've done recording sessions and a few um, live streams, uh, like the month before we got here. It was like a relatively busy month, music-wise, in in a weird way. And everyone was trying to follow COVID protocols as much as possible. But there were times I would see people break them, you know. Yeah. And no one really said anything. People were like, "Eh, let's just move on from it. Or I'm sure everything's fine. You know, people just get kind of complacent or they just Mm -hmm. forget you know 
what you're supposed to do, shut down the whole live stream because someone accidentally didn't do a, put a mask on? Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, that's the thing, you know? So. Um, what were you live streaming? Um, which one was this? Actually, no, sorry. It was a live video. Well, not a live video shoot. It, it was a pre-recorded video shoot with... Oh, for uh, Avant Music... Uh, what's it called? Oh, that was earlier. That was um, X Avant Festival. That was my my band. But I was oh, hired. I, I was hired uh, as a trumpet player to play for this rapper MC. He, he had a pretty fancy budget. He had this huge band, and we rehearsed a lot. And there was this giant warehouse where we recorded this very fancy looking video and there was like wardrobe and makeup and like you know everyone had like these covid visors on it was insane it was actually <laughs> i'm not used to stuff like that i'm still pretty i'm still in that diy hire your friends world <laughs> yeah so it's weird Me to see big productions you know what i mean yeah i don't know maybe the goal is to stay diy forever Hey, I'm all, you know what, I, know. I like, I don't know. Productions I, make me nervous, I think. Yeah. Especially during COVID, like, especially now. <laughs> I don't know. I I think DIY and, and doing your own thing. I know you're all about that. Just the way you make music and. I don't have a choice. <laughs> hey, but if you had the choice, what would you do? I'm curious. I don't know. Well. I would love more opportunities. Yeah. But I'm fine like this. You know? Yeah, you strike me as someone who's fine like this. <laughs> I'm totally fine like this. I mean, don't get me wrong, I would love to uh I would love to play the Toronto Jazz Festival one time, you know, <laughs> but I'm fine. I I'm just as happy in the basement of Winona, you know? Like whatever. Yeah, your solo record's really good. And that was just a solo effort. You know, you just did that yourself. Yes, I did it in GarageBand and recorded it in my parents' bathroom. There you go. Um, and I still... Well, thank you for listening to it. I love it, Mike. Did you hear that? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Sound bite. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That was maybe, uh, in hindsight, not one of my best moves. But Go on. Why do you think it wasn't a good move? I put, I put almost no time into it. Mm. You know? So maybe I already don't love hearing myself. And maybe in like 10 years, I'll be like, fuck, that's on the internet. People have that, you know? Like, it was recorded in a bathroom on a travel base. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even mastered. Yeah. So I don't know. But however, I did. I I got a test pressing for it. I might do some uh, singles, just like mm -hmm. one track on each side. Yeah. And it kind of sounds a lot better on vinyl. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I'm There's this guy. Of... Oh, sorry. Go. No, you have a you... story. You have a story. Uh, I found a guy. <laughs> I found a guy that's making uh, 45s 
in his basement in Toronto. <laughs> and he does, um, I think it's $12 a disc, mm. which is still pretty expensive, but he does small orders, which is nice. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's cool that you're doing your own thing. I, I think the pandemic really, I mean, I already felt this way before the pandemic. I'm going to say this. It wasn't so much of a, a huge awakening for me, but it was just, it just making your own music with your own people, I think is more important than ever now. Certainly. I, I think like this pandemic really revealed that the music industry is basically propped up by popsicle sticks. <laughs> like, you know, there's people in charge, like floating men in the sky that are like, if you do these, I think we talked about this also um, in our last chat, our last knockout ginger chat. If I recall, we were kind of talking about like the system of putting out a record and what you need to do and getting a publicist and getting it to the right people and da, 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 and that old like song and dance that we all have to do as artists to be successful. And I feel like it's just, I'm feeling more and more that the way that the industry sells it to you, it's like, well, if you do these things, and if you do things exactly the way we tell you to, you're going to be fine. But that's not the case at all. No. <laughs> and there's like all this trickery that goes on to force artists to give money to people that don't need it, you know, and they're just self-funding rather than putting money, like money back into their own pockets and into their own communities, you know, yeah. like paying your friends, like paying your loved ones, paying people that you've like developed long-term relationships that are reciprocal. So you're kind of moving, you're both moving up rather than you just being here and then you're like, oh, here, fancy producer person, here's $20,000. <laughs> and I'm here working in a coffee shop to make sure I can handle my Toronto rent. You know, yeah. like it's just, I don't know. I think communities, I think really digging into making music with your friends who are talented and giving them a shot and then they give you a shot. I think that's. That's the way. That's like the way I feel like is the healthiest way to sustain. It's the only way. I think it's, don't you think that's awesome? Like, <laughs> like the more I think about my friends that do that, like you're doing it, a lot of my friends are just making their own stuff. You're doing it? I, I'm trying to do it. I'm like intentionally doing it. Like I'm only hiring people I know and care about. Or if I hire someone I need to real that I don't know that well, I need to really know them and know I really want to know where that money's going. Like seriously, I don't want to feed into a system that's never gonna reward me, you know. Or mm -hmm. people like me, you know. So I I wanna reward people that will be good to the world. And I know that sounds kinda like after school special, but good for the art form, right? So yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this whole money thing. I just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like uh, it's the only thing that I feel strongly about is is uh, paying my band. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah. And I realize that it's not always a possibility, but that's the only time I take the money side of this whole thing seriously. Yeah. I th but I think like um, somewhat self-congratulatory in taking from what you just said, but like I'm, I've got three records out and I've got three in the can mm -hmm. and that's all without any, any money. Like yeah. I don't have, <laughs> I had no money to spend on any of these records kind of thing yeah. and they still happened. So yeah. like, what are we doing? Like Grimes just got 90 grand from Factor or something. Like, <laughs> Did you see Factor put out a statement too? Because it went all over the news. This is the thing, people, since the pandemic, I think people are starting to really notice these vast inequities within, I mean, everywhere, obviously, but like speaking specifically about the music industry, like people are stopping and being like, wow, come they have all that money? Like married, not married, but the uh, partner, are they partners? Elon Musk? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not married though. Or I don't think so. Like, I have no idea. I don't want to get into the drama of their relationship. <laughs> I have no idea. But like, it's just, uh, I'm glad that that story came out. And then Factor came out with a statement being like, these are the, re like, it didn't go to Grimes. It went to Grimes' label and they fit within these requirements. And we were never claiming to be an arts granting institution. Like they are feeding into the industry. I think they're open about that and they're open to criticism but it's also you're just saying what we all know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're basically agreeing with the article that you gave a bunch of money to someone who didn't need it and that those are your terms so like yeah. i don't know why i even had to put out a statement <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm mostly on board with the idea like in when it comes to anything in the arts world that like uh the less rules, the better. Like, mm -hmm. I don't really care who qualifies for what grants or like, just make it open and figure it out. But I think there should be a point where you're like, okay, if if you're mar if you're living with a billionaire, maybe you don't qualify for grants. Maybe you know, like, <laughs> yeah, if uh, you're living with a billionaire, a very famous, a famous, arguably the most famous billionaire. Yeah. Who is a famous billionaire other than him? Like Jeff, Martin Jeff Bezos. Je oh, Jeff Bezos. I don't even know. I didn't say him first. I don't know. Shark Tank. Uh, <laughs> and, and this is another, this might come across as self-congratulatory again, but like based on my track record, I could make somewhere between 90 and 180 records for that much money. Who needs that? I don't know. Whatever. You can. No, that's great. I... <laughs> I don't know. Grimes. Uh, no shade to Grimes. This is not a. I don't want to shade Grimes. It's just. They seem like they're. They seem like they're fine. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why I'm protecting someone that needs no protecting from me. <laughs> oh, that's not what I was saying. I, I was agreeing with. Like, they seem. <laughs> like they're I was trying to imply that they're not they're enjoying their new uh child named yeah. 
um what's the child's name ash something i think it's ash a it's a really um i'm gonna look this up are we gonna be those people that shave celebrity baby names though like of course they name their kids things like that they can yeah do whatever you want like it's, it's like easily as far as decisions that billionaires make it's pretty low on the list <laughs> right i don't know yeah you can name your kid boot i wouldn't care yeah I don't know how deep we want to go down the Elon Musk hole, but I thought it was interesting how much flack he got for um, when he said gender. He simply tweeted gender sucks or gender is dumb or something. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And I think it it got interpreted as. Like transphobic. Sort of transphobic. Yeah, yeah. But he. In reality, he they named their kid this so it could be the most general gender neutral thing yeah. they could yeah and then the and then twitter just like ate him alive you know it's just so man i've been thinking a lot about i mean this is like such a tricky conversation to have because intention versus impact is like the, the hot term these days yeah it's like you can explain your intentions, but the impact that it has ultimately, like which one wins out. And it used to be intentions. I think I, I say this has shifted over time. Like I remember when I was growing up, like I could say something really offensive to someone. Not that I did, but I definitely did. I've said a few things in my day when I was younger and dumber. And uh, I would say something and my friend would cry. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I could say, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it that way. And then they would go to the kid and say, Tar didn't mean it that way. So you need to get over it. Mm. And now it's not like that at all. No. Like I'm in the camp of like, given like how I was like my background, I would say I'm on the, I'm on the side of impact versus intention. Even though I didn't grow up that way. Sometimes, I don't even... Yeah. I'm not sure if I even know the difference. Yeah, like I feel... I mean, obviously, I feel like there's like cases on either camp of like intention. Like, you know how people kind of... There's this thing that happens and uh, like political commentators, like talking heads, and they do this thing. They call it like anecdotal evidence. So someone will... Um, present an idea that maybe a lot of people agree with, you know? So mm -hmm. let's just like use the example of like, okay, so people are really upset because uh, there are kids in cages at the border. <laughs> Awful, right? Awful. And I agree. That's the worst possible thing. And it's, isn't it, isn't it obvious that there's something that should be shifted and changed? But what will happen is someone on the other side will use an anecdotal piece of evidence that usually involves one very specific story. So it's like, yeah, but was a rapist and <laughs> and he killed this family in West. Do you want Montana. me to do you want me to bleep that name out? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> 
And because we don't have strict enough, strict enough immigration laws, this happened, this one thing happened. So that's what I see a lot happening is like someone will bring up this thing that's affected a lot of people, but then there's one little, one little crack in it. And it usually, usually involves a story. And then, and then it's just tossed. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's crazy, crazy town. Like I don't, uh, it, I'm not sure if I've just had more time to think about stuff or more time to read or whatever, but over this whole quarantine thing, I've been like, I don't trust anything. Mm. Like nothing, like there's no information that's presented to me. And I'm like, that's, that's probably right. Like, yeah, it's we're just at this point where like, I don't know. I don't even know if really, I don't, I don't know if those kids are even in cages. <laughs> like, do you feel, I'm curious about this. Like where, okay. So if you don't believe the media or you don't mistrust the media, which I know a lot of people do. Um, and they're like, the media is not perfect. Um, Do you have a strong internal sense of what you feel is right and wrong? Or do you think that's been cultivated over this time? Or do you think it's just gotten more confusing? I think it, I just, cause I know a lot of people that are kind of working through this, you know. I, uh. Like, do you have like a visceral re reaction to certain things still? Like. Not really. Yeah. I mean, but I'm not sure if it has anything to do with what's right or what I believe is right or wrong. Mm. Uh, maybe I don't understand the question. Well, let me try to like pose it in a different way. I'm not sure if this is interesting. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know if I'm interesting, Mike. I'll try it's, to. Who cares? You're right. I'm I'm interested. That's good. The the uh, the idiot listeners can go listen to. A, whoever else they want to listen to i don't care like they can listen know? to joe rogan on his hundred million dollar podcast he had a good one recently uh i'm side note finding them uh the good ones are so few and far between these days yeah with that with that guy who was on um I know Dave Chappelle was on recently. Yeah. Uh, oh, the Tom Green one was pretty funny. I love Tom Green. Yeah. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I sidetracked this. No, just... I agree with you. I used to be, oh man, I'm one of those people that's embarrassed to say that they were really into Joe Rogan. And then I just feel like he just bought into his whole thing. And now he's really, I don't really... Um, I don't love what it's become. I totally started out like I listened to his podcast in really early, early days. Back when it was like him and Tom Segura, like in like yeah. a back room at comedy club or something. Like, mm -hmm. And I just enjoyed the conjecture. And I think it was super clear that no one knew anything. So it was funny to me, you know? Yeah. They could say things that were really offensive, but like 
the conceit of it was super clear that they they weren't they were just joking around it was like a keyhole into two friends or a group of friends that know each other talking in the way that a lot of friends talk behind closed doors and that's like really um sometimes it's really beautiful to listen to mm-hmm. and watch and then as like, the podcast went Hold on and you start bringing I... on more experts I think you're frozen. Still? Nope, we're back. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. Sorry. No, that's okay. I just think now that he's brought in all these experts, and some of them I really like. I Um, I like Andrew Yang. I'm a big Andrew Yang fan. I'm I'm, I'm a fan. (laughs) I'm a big uh, fan of his. But he brought in like... is that what his fans are called? No, they're they're not. I just that was oh. an accident. Okay, Bang that's a, that's an awesome. Um, that would be great. But he brought on a lot of really interesting people, who are kind of public intellectuals. Some of them I think are ridiculous, um, and some of them I think are really dangerous. And they just it just kind of got out of hand. And now I feel like he's some similar to like Adamson's barbecue, like now he's just become this symbol of like unfettered free speech i don't think he even probably intended on being that person but what it's become is kind of gross like i can't really listen to it anymore and i and i i think free speech is really important like i get it Mm. you know i think people often forget that in other countries free speech is not a luxury that people can afford. Yeah, shit can get dark real quick. Yeah, like that's it's it's, really important to be mindful of like the fact that we have it at our disposal. But I don't like what this has become. Like it's gotten so political, the way it's being politicized, free speech. All these like things that should be pretty neutral have become politicized. Like racism should just be bad. <laughs> and yeah. you know what I mean? Like it just should be it shouldn't be a left issue or a right issue. It should just be like this is an issue that affects everybody. Free speech yeah. is an issue that affects everybody. You know, like I don't COVID is something that affects everybody, but for some reason people have like religion affects everybody. But people have just like cherry picked the ones that they think belong on the left or belong on the right and then, you know, it just becomes And even me saying, like, I really believe in free speech, I have this weird, like, uh, moment of, I'm like, I hate that I said that because I'm going to be associated with these awful people on the right who are abusing this incredible privilege that we have. So. But I think that that's, uh, so this is, this is where we come down to intent. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I, you have to feel that way and you have to, we have to say that Mm -hmm. like regardless of how it's one of those things where you can't worry about how that's interpreted. Yeah. That's one of the ones that's like, that's, that's pretty unnegotiable. Wait, wait, sorry. Which one? Uh, That free speech is important and unfortunately the right is abusing it, you know? Yeah. Like that's, that's just how that things flip flop much more than we care to acknowledge i think as I agree. as people on 
the left as I guess I, I mean and I still like I feel like I start talking about this stuff and I have to keep saying like by the way I'm on the left like, <laughs> like, but like also Joe Rogan does it too he's like I he like he says almost on he, he says almost on every podcast I listen to he's he always is like I'm on the left but I want guns yeah yeah like it's at a point where he has to say that over and over and I don't know. It's like, who knows? Who, what, like, what do I know? I'm sitting in my parents' basement recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's but, hey, but it's fun. It is fun. And uh, I still occasionally get sucked into Rogan. Like sometimes I'm, I, I I look up and I'm three hours into an episode with some guy talking about bacteria that eats your brain, and I'm like, uh, how did? Why am I doing this even? Yeah. But there's that element of. I gotta say I'm, my, my, Rogan fandom is probably at it, its lowest that it's yeah. been, because he's yeah. like. He's just been annoying recently, I think. Yeah, he talks a lot now, too. Like, okay, separate from all the other issues that, like, that are leveled at him. Yeah. Like, as a broadcaster right now. He's talking a lot more than he used to. So much. <laughs> I'm like, stop talking. You're interrupting yeah. the guests. Like, there's a great, oh, my gosh. I'm like, you probably love this. There's, like, a great series about the comedy store. Well, it started as great. It's a great series that talks about the history of the comedy store. Um, I, I saw it, right? The Mike Binder one? Yeah, the Mike Binder one. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. And so I love it all up until the last episode. <laughs> I was, because I'm really interested in comedy. I, is is the last one the one where Rogan cried? On the... No, it's not. There's oh. a roundtable discussion with a lot of comedians at the in front of the comedy store. So it has like Whitney Cummings... And oh yeah, Mike Binder's there. Joe Rogan, a few other. Oh, Jay Leno is there. There's and uh, Annie Letterman. Oh, right. Annie Letterman's there. Right, I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love her. I think she's hilarious. Yeah, uh, she's funny. But uh, like the first several episodes, I'm sure you loved. I loved them. I thought they were really great. And, I liked all of them. Yeah, I think. I love Adam Egit. <laughs> um, and I like how critical they were of the comedy store and of Mitzi Shore. And, and so I was really interested that it was kind of like a more subtle history of what happened at the comedy store and like Freddie Prinze, all that stuff about him. Super fascinating. Um, and you also got to see comedians that really didn't make it the way that others did that have had flourishing careers at, at the comedy store and are still doing great work. Brian Brian Holtzman is yeah, the Brian funniest. Holtzman. You got to check out that podcast. Yeah, I, he's like he's so cartoony, but like yeah. it's, it's on purpose, obviously. Like it's really it's super intriguing. But like that last episode is just like Joe Rogan talking over everybody else. Like it reminded me of like oh, this just feels like his podcast. Like he's interrupting people. And talking so much about how comedians are the target of criticism now in a way they never were before. Like, 
which I understand that, like, I get that, but I was also like bored. I'm like, I don't want to hear you talk about this. Like, I've heard you talk about this a lot. Like, I want to hear from the other comedians, you know? Yeah. I think they, yeah, I don't know. It's a, that's a tough one. Cause I feel like you, in that situation that everyone says how he sort of saved the comedy store. Yeah. Like him, him coming back saved it. So I don't know, maybe you, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's a point where you just kind of go, all right, you're allowed to yeah, do whatever you want because you saved us, sort of. I, I don't know. I think he wields quite a bit of power in the comedy community now. So you're not going to question it, even if you are a little bit, like, even if you don't agree or even if you see, like, different, some nuances to what he said, like, no one was really talking. And so it just kind of illuminated that he has a lot more power than I remember him having growing up and seeing him on news radio with Andy Dick. <laughs> like he is yeah. like a, he is like a, a secondary character on this like NBC sitcom. And then all of a sudden, like through my years of living, he's become this like gigantic megawatt broadcaster. It's tough power. Uh, whatever the saying is power corrupts there's another part to that saying that i can't put my finger on at the moment i don't, don't want to let you do it <laughs> say it <laughs> uh, how are um, you i feel like i'm talking a lot no this is good you you you're saying good stuff uh but yeah i'm i'm regular i guess trying to uh, trying to remember what I was going to, my one point about Rogan before we, oh, the, yeah, just the one thing that keeps sucking me in is like hearing someone, hearing someone talk about something that they're passionate about is like the ultimate, mm -hmm. the ultimate thing for me. So like, like I, that that one guy that was passionate about that bacteria that goes up your nose and eats your brain. Yeah. And I'm just like locked in and I'm like sweating listening to him talk. It's like the thing that's ultimately appealing about his podcast, I think. Yeah. But Yeah, I think like I agree with that completely because that's kind of how I got into it is, I mean, I remember a few if you, I mean, I'm going to bring up Andrew Yang again, but I remember it being highly suspective. I didn't really know much about universal basic income. I didn't really know much about um, the freedom dividend, and I didn't really know much about him. And then I was just curious, and I listened to him, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I totally – he's clearly very passionate about this, and he is making it his mandate to show you that huge tech companies are not paying any taxes <laughs> and they should be like something like that. Like no, no one else talked about and he had like all this data to suggest that, you know, a lot of people in the middle class, lower middle class and the poor are getting hoodwinked and have lost confidence in the people that are supposed to be advocating for them. So like the people on the left, right? And so the way he spoke about it was just like, oh, this is a different angle to mm -hmm. supporting the disenfranchised.
you know, like bringing up the fact that these tech companies own us. They own, they own us, you know. Shout out Audio Boom for hosting my <laughs> podcast. Uh, as much as I, again, I have much as much as I think he's a bozo, I love that he had Andrew Yang on. Yeah. And I love that he had Bernie on. Yeah. And I kind of, I dislike that he wasted his vote, but I also admire him for not voting for uh, Trump or Sleepy Joe. Sleepy Joe. He voted for uh, Joe Jorgensen. Oh, yeah. That seems like something Joe Rogan would do. So it's a waste, but it's also like, good for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I I would have totally, or maybe it's a cop-out now that I'm thinking about it more. I mean, but he has the luxury to do that. Yeah. He has the luxury to waste a vote. Because that's, like, to him, he gets to say it's a stand. But to someone who has no money or someone who comes from a community that's really hurting or for someone who has uh, been a target of some of the most dangerous policies in American history, like, to them, a vote is, like, huge <laughs> like i don't know i actually I'm not sure if i agree oh go i want i want this debate give it to me <laughs> i think um optically that scenario seems to be true but i don't trust biden enough to say that the people who are really dealing with a lot uh, are going to have better lives just because biden is running the country now but do you just, think okay sorry go on i, I, want I was to... just gonna say i just don't um i don't have that much faith in the system to say that um the optics of having biden in opposed to trump is gonna make a lot of lives better yeah i think it's just something that uh optics are important for sure not having a crazy person regardless of what you believe not having a crazy person in the White House is incredibly important. Yeah. But I'm also not inclined to say that uh, I trust Biden or the cop to make people's, <laughs> people's, people's lives better. Okay, I have a question. Well, and I'm not, I'm not like even doing a gotcha thing where like I'm, <laughs> I'm actually just interested because I like debates or, or not even debates. I just like to hear different points of view. Um, what do you think is a an appropriate alternative? Do you think it's not voting? Do you think it's um, like trying to blow up the system, and, like form your own party? Like, what do you think would be a good way for people who are disenfranchised to advocate for themselves within the system? Um, I'm not sure if there's a way. Yeah. I think the system is so, so banged up that... Uh, I think the, I think the, like, for the most part, I think the white liberal middle class uh, puts way too much weight on optics. Mm -hmm. 
most of us will not most of us but most of us white middle class liberals will never understand the system enough the the uh discrepancies in the system to understand what um people who don't have as many opportunities and who are really being beat down by the system they'll they'll the way the system is set up now i don't think there's a way to uh sort that out yeah do you think it's possible that there are people surrounding Joe Biden, and I could be wrong, there are people surrounding Joe Biden who can advocate for those people so that at least someone's listening? Because that, that's like the argument that I'm hearing a lot in the States is that from people that are voting Biden is that he may not be the best, but at least he'll listen to us versus Trump who kind of just is a bit of a mad king. <laughs> I, I, I don't disagree with that. But uh, I don't know. Like he already hired the woman that was responsible for deporting all those people under Obama. Like I, I forget her name already. It's, uh, it's not going to come to me, but. I can't remember. I don't know who his cabinet picks are. And I think there were like a few names I recognize, but. Um, um, but all that, like even me being that dark about how the system works. Um, I definitely think based on the state of that country, having someone like Biden, who's kind of down the middle. Yeah is probably the best thing for the country at the moment, I think, because I think if you went too far left there, the chances of a civil war go quite, quite a bit higher. Or I really, you know, I was totally in the camp of like, they could, they could go to war. It was yeah. getting so hairy. Just, you know, how the news is bad. And then you go to a place where you talk to your friends who live in the States. They're like, it's not that bad. But I was starting to have conversations with my friends in the States being like, it's kind of bad. Like, I think I might move to Canada or I might move somewhere. You know, that was happening often enough that I was starting to get concerned. You know, like the Breakfast Club, how it's become enormously popular, like the radio show with Charlemagne the God and yeah. DJ Angela Yee. Um, oh, my God. I just got a notification on my phone mentioning Adamson's Barbecue about <laughs> Perfect. What happened? Uh, let me look. What's the news? I want. Uh, sorry to interrupt this line, but it's just I could. This just in. This just in. What are they saying about Adamson's Barbecue? What are my notifications? Owner of Adamson Barbecue faces nine charges after reopening restaurant for a second day. He's charged. Huh. Well, I mean, I think we all saw that coming. Yeah. I mean, he, he asked for it. I think he saw that coming. But yeah. uh, this is only going to be good for him, honestly. Do you know how many people agree with him? Like, there's just, he's just going to get business from them. Loyal customers. I mean, I'm I'm more disappointed in them than I am him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I would be pretty thrilled with the situation if, I mean, it's like, one of those 
in a perfect world scenarios, but if he did all this to stand up for his, his business yeah. and then no one showed up, <laughs> that would be awesome. Cause he gets to stand up for what he believes in and everyone is safe at home, you know, like <laughs> that's true. Perfect. That is perfect. Um, Oh, oh, the breakfast club. I was like trying to remember what I was talking about. Um, something that's ha- that happened with the election cycle, I noticed in particular, is that black and brown news outlets, uh, I would say more black news outlets and radio shows and media, they were being contacted by Democratic nominee hopefuls. And I, and I have listened to The Breakfast Club for like many years. And there was like a particular, because for like traditionally for a very long time, I think the Democratic Party took advantage of the fact that black voters would vote for them because their policies more or less align with their belief systems, but they never used to cater to black voters, which is a huge insult because you're just taking for granted all these people, you know, and these policies should be serving them. But then after Trump was elected and then people were trying to fix the problems that were happening, I think people started to really value the black vote, which is good. You should value the black vote. But something that they did on this particular show, because it's millions of listeners, a syndicated show, and it like it plays in Toronto, they'd have these uh, nominees come in or not even nominees, like hopefuls come in. And Charlemagne, uh, the God, would ask like, what is your black agenda? (laughs) Like super hard hitting questions. Like, what is it? Mm. And most of them like really struggled with that answer, you know? Because they don't value the black vote. They just value votes. Yes. And And I'm sure some people had better answers and I'm trying to, I think I listened to every single one because I was super curious about this answer. I'm like, I wonder what they're going to say. Uh, I think we can all agree that the best answer was you ain't black. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Joe Biden. That was so, t- I watched that. I watched him make that faux pas. Was that like, was tough. That was tough. That was really, I mean, I'm happy he's in there instead of trump but i remember watching that and being like him (laughs) oh yeah also yeah i should should go without like i hate that i have to say this i'm thrilled that trump lost trump uh trump changed my life yeah yeah goodbye good riddance horrible yeah so i think what was really interesting was watching a lot of these politicians kind of twist in the wind because finally I think they were starting to understand that they need to value this huge voting block who are people like they're people with real like exactly what you're talking about about how like it was the same when Trump was there it'll be the same when Biden's there like of course they would feel that way like if no one's really paid attention to that community or enough attention. Like you're going to be skeptical of any political system, you know? So this got so political, this talk, hey? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's hard. They all do. Yeah. It's just how these go now. Yeah. You talk about 
uh, COVID for a little bit, and then you get into politics, and uh, then it's over. It's really like it's totally wrapped. Like my life has become this. I mean, especially with this is art school. Oh my gosh! Like it all totally intersects. Like my work as an artist, my work as a teacher, my work as like kind of a moderator in this kind of coalition, and even just my interest in politics and like like world issues at large. It's all just so interconnected now that I. Sometimes I feel like I'm talking about the same thing. Like, mm. if someone asks me how my mu music's going, I'm like kind of saying the same stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, me too. That's kind of why I stopped doing these for a while. They were all the same. Yeah. And... Oh my gosh, am I boring? I can't... <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, did you did you listen to the Layton episode? I haven't listened to it yet. I'm, All right. I, I mean, no pressure to even listen. Like, no, I will. Zero I will. pressure. But we talk about we we kind of get into some shit about and well, we, and he was like he's like, no, I want you to keep all that in. <gasps> and I was like, okay. All right. So obviously, I cut the names out all the time. But notes of what's like. Sorry. Give, what it, give me a teaser of what I might hear. Um. I can maybe add to it, frankly. Yeah, he's like, I'm the only black student out of 120. Mm -hmm. There's no black faculty. Man, I could go on. Like, how do I say this without? Because I, I mean, you know how I feel about this. I hope you do. Do you still work there? Yeah. The I teach there. And I now am a part of some committees to fix certain things. And this is our school has done a lot of work to make this work equitable. But I have to say, like, jazz has so much work to do. I understand people are trying. I understand. Uh, like, uh... like, I, you know, <laughs> I, I do, I do, I get it. I like. I'm not saying they're doing a good job. I'm just saying people are trying. Sorry, we we froze for a second. Can you start that thought again? Yeah. No, no. I just this the culture has to change. It's it's critical. It's severe. Mm -hmm. And even just hearing that about Leighton, I there was a student. I was working on some of this stuff today, and I was listening to some of the students talk about some of the stuff that's been happening and and he, similar to what Leighton said they don't want to have to think about this shit they're students they're trying to get their exams done or their reports mm -hmm. done and study for their exams and like do their weird ear training tests and and to have to shoulder the burden of taking on activism within an institution that's so heavily stacked against them is so unfair. It's, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. I'm like a teacher. I'm older. I have some life experience. I have a little security, but imagine being 19 or 20 and then having these white professors come to you and say, can you tell us about your who you are so we can be better? Like, 
you know? It's crazy. And just as a, uh, so this is something that we talked about, Leighton and I. I, I said that the, the thing that they posted on the Instagram recently came off as pretty sad based off the fact that uh, before they posted it, they were posting pictures of all of their faculty. Mm-hmm. And it's a bunch of white people and William Karn. Yeah. And you're not even on it. <laughs> I didn't even look. <laughs> That's why I asked if you still work there. No, because I they, they, maybe they forgot about me. They posted this big diversity thing. And then they don't even post a picture of you. Like, <laughs> like they're not trying that hard. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. You, it, if they... Yeah. Like they 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 posted like single pictures of everyone. Yeah. And I didn't know that. I didn't know they left me out. Yeah. So how hard could they possibly be trying? I don't know. I, like No, I yeah, I agree with you. They should put my picture there. <laughs> they should. First of all because you're important and you like you're one of the few people who work at that place that are actually connected to the young people somehow. So for all of those reasons, they should not forget about you as a faculty person. Mm-hmm. But also, they just posted a thing about diversity. <laughs> and they conveniently forgot about Tara Canagera. Yeah. Like, fuck off forever. Yeah, I just, like, you know... It's very conflicting for me working there. It's very conflicting because like I want the reason why I'm working so hard. A few people have asked me this, by the way, they're like, why are you, why do you care so much? Like what? And like, aside from it affecting me personally, like these issues affect me in my day-to-day life, you know, as a Brown woman, you know, I can't even imagine what it's like to be, black man like even having those conversations with modibo you know and i haven't talked to Leighton about it like one-on-one but like my experience is fraught you know so i have to do it for my own self-interest and people like me so that's one reason why i do it the other reason is like also to protect the art form like i don't want jazz to start sounding like it only comes from one type of student taught by one type of teacher. What does it become? You know, and I think you know what it becomes. We, we know what that sounds like, you know. Mm-hmm. It sounds vanilla, it sounds lame. It sounds like the least confronting, least revolutionary, uh, out of context, trash like it's just like we need to improve like the reason art gets better is through multiple perspectives the reason i'm so vocal about it even though it is like maybe not the smartest move although no i think it is a smart move because now people are really more mindful of it and i i just like it's i really believe if institutions were run in a healthier way, it would it would be good for art because like institutions are what kind of preserve art. You know, they preserve, you know, 
jazz, they preserve classical, they preserve every, you know, it's like to be studied and criticized. Like I know that sounds in some ways kind of too intellectual, but there's some really beautiful qualities about having spaces, academic scholarly spaces where we can examine amazing works and respect them and revere, revere them. Like, I think that's what institutions could be. Cause like, I could easily be that person who's like, let's just blow it up. Who cares? Let's just work outside of it. You know? And there've been a few times where I've been like, well, maybe that's the option, you know? But I really believe like, cause I've seen it happen. Like I've seen thought leaders and I've seen academics who are people of color that are like contributing such amazing work and they're teaching kids this. And I see the, and you see it happen. Like kids are like, wow, I, I can't believe I didn't see this music this way before. I'm now going to share it, you know, like that's what it can be. But for some reason it just hasn't been. And I, you know, like it could just be like this ridiculous crusade that we're, <laughs> you know, we where we have right now or we're on but i really believe that this is something that can be done if we just if we just keep applying pressure you know yeah. like i want and i want people to start respecting jazz again in canada like <laughs> like i i couldn't care less honestly <laughs> like it's the music is less important than the lives of the people who are part of the lineage of this music. So I don't know if I, I, it is, the music is, is what it is. It's always been the counterculture. It's why it's like a beautiful thing. Like that part of it. I don't. Yeah. I think I I really agree with you about it's about people. Like I think has been lost a lot and it's really tragic about like how you know this music comes from people and Mm. and like you know some of the work that I'm doing within the institution there's like a group of people that are all people of color they come from underrepresented communities and they're faculty members that are not just in the jazz um, area and many of them are like a little older than me and they are amazing people. Like they, they've been in the institution longer and they've been fighting these battles for a very long time. And I'm like a newbie at this, I would say. Like I've always been politically concerned, but I've never really stuck my neck out until these past few months. And like these people are amazing people and they've been like screaming this from the rooftops within this institution that have just never listened to them in the way they should be and now that this opportunity has opened up in the world they're finally kind of being listened to and it's like i'm kind of, i feel this kind of incredible um gratitude to people that you're kind of standing on the shoulders of people that have knew, known this all along or have known this way before before we arrived at this moment in time where finally, like, it's miraculous that everyone's talking about this now. Like, it's, and so when I talk to them, I'm like, man, like, you guys knew this before I did, and I, and you were really trying at a time when people weren't listening, and I really, I think that's amazing, because that's hard. 
Like, I'm doing this at a time where people are listening. That's a much easier burden to bear. 